God, it's like it's been gone for 30 <laughs> years. Ah, rolling up into the the pool house in my car. Uh, what is a new version? Hi, welcome to <laughs> Live from the Pool House. Special uh, edition. Yeah. Special edition. Well, I was like, I was originally, because one of the things that somebody said was like, oh, hey, you guys should put this behind the paywall. However... We have been gone. Uh, I didn't want to do it. It's all on me. I will take complete blame and fault on that. Uh, life has just been crazy. But we have been gone uh, from our regular feed, uh, you know, for the whole month, as well as our paywall on Patreon. Patreon.com slash uh, live from the pool house. <laughs> uh, but uh, this is our, this is me saying we are back and you will get more episodes. Yeah. Because we are here. Uh, but. Who am I? For you who may not know. Uh, well, I am. Uh, I am a. Uh, <laughs> I guess like yeah. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna do actual mortifies for us today. <laughs> uh, I am a writer. Uh, I write fiction, um, mainly screen. I'm a screenplay writer. Uh, written my first short. Uh, and also have been acting now. So that's weird. My name is T. L. Foster, <laughs> and uh, I am joined by my co-host. Who is also a writer, uh, mm-hmm. who is a an award-winning uh, filmmaker, uh, and uh, she is literally the only person I want to talk about the show with. Uh, that would be Miss Sonia Valentine. Sonia, yo, say hello. <laughs> <laughs> or we have to do the the jazz handshake. Yeah. The... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So this is this one. So I, I watched this. Uh, so hmm, I don't know what's a good way of opening this. Like, um, well, we can talk about how um, I illegally watched it on YouTube. Uh, the Fresh Prince of Bel Air reunion the day. After why didn't you tell? Why did you tell me? I have. I well, literally um, have HBO, a watch HBO Max probably wouldn't work in the the US. So like today when we were planning to record this, I was trying to find the clip I watched on YouTube. I couldn't find it. So I actually bought um, the HBO app uh, Crave in Canada and the uh. add-on for the movie so I could watch it in its, in its beautiful glory because it is really beautiful like production wise like I know we'll talk about it but like production wise like it was gorgeous and it felt so good and it felt it was really what you needed right now you know in times of yeah. COVID like I don't know if you feel the same way about it but I was like I was just blown away by the special no, I um I absolutely I told my roommate I think I cried five times watching that special. I was um, smiling the whole time because it was yeah. just it just felt like um you know um well you're you probably had the itchy blankets that are really really comfortable with like animal yeah. prints on them. That's what they right. that's what the, that's what this <laughs> felt like. <laughs> yeah, well it, it it was like I said to me what was really great about the special and I think you treated it. It kind of validated what we did, yeah, and what we've been doing, <laughs> you know, with this show. Because like this is so like when we do our show, one of the things that I really enjoy about doing it is we talk about our relationship with the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, um, and not just like we don't go beat by beat, we don't tell you each joke or, or break everything down, but we do let's say we do relay and and relay, you know, hey, here's what you know, we were thinking when we saw this or when we were doing this. And I, I think that's like 
one of the great things I got from them is they found like they kind of had that same kind of atmosphere. So uh, it's something that was really cool. And I tell you what it did do before we go into the whole thing. Uh, eventually, I want to do this as a live show. I think our show, I think it's fun enough where we could do it at a live show at a live venue. Oh, and I fun. want that fresh Fritz. And like, I <laughs> have always, like, so I, my whole thing is I've always been like, oh, I want to do panels. I always want to do a panel because I want to bring that, that I'm a showman. Like, I'm just a naturally a showman. So I want to bring that chaotic energy and just watching them, like, every time they would play the percussion and the chaotic energy, I was like, Dude, that let's so put, yeah. put me in front of put me in front of a crowd right now. We will have that energy. <laughs> like I love it. Well, if you wanted to add this into um so the reunion starts with Will being asked uh three words to describe the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. So I wanted to ask you, TL, what are your three words to describe the Fresh Prince of Bel Air? Uh sure. Um I would say family. Um I would say, uh, like warm, and I would say black. Like I, I think that's something that it, it's like it's it, it, especially with us rewatching it. It is a black show, mm-hmm. and like that's something that shouldn't be taken away from it. Yeah, that's one of the things I really loved about the show. Like I, we're gonna get into it. Like, um, but it it. It really, like, as you said, it really validates why we did the show in the, why we did this podcast in the first place to discuss why this show was important then and now, why it is so important to, even now, why it is so relevant that they were able to have, like, a paid reunion that people are pirating onto, um, onto YouTube, where there's BuzzFeed articles about why Alfonso wasn't in the room when Janet met the whole cast and, like, all this other stuff and but it's like one of the things i really loved about it is that everything was intentional that we love about this show like nothing was just like an accident this was a bunch of black actors and actresses that knew what they were representing and they went with it with their whole heart and nothing was um nothing was a throwaway gag everything was planned and everything was truthful and i really love that like um because one of the of the three words i picked to describe fresh prince of bel-air first one was hilarious because i i love that joke they showed of um uh jeffrey being electrocuted and him obviously a doll of him obviously being thrown down the stairs (laughs) that is my favorite gag on the show because they do it again with um will when he's dreaming about being in the gym being beaten up by a bunch of women so he's, his body, that's uh, a doll that's dressed up like him, is being thrown around the gym. So it's really, and you hear right. Will screaming. The other word I used was forward, because this was really ahead of its time in terms of representing not just uh, like hood culture, but representing a rich family who still had to deal with the realistic aspects of being a black family. Right. It's it's the diversity uh, of. Uh... Is a diversity of a culture without having to like put like it. It's like not putting like the urban spin on it, right? And that's not the the shit talk like people who are, you know, black who live in like in urban developments, which we want to say like the hood and stuff like that. But like, it doesn't have to be that. 
there are different black people in the world. And I think that's one of the things that is very forward about this show. Like, I I am not a huge fan of the Cosby show mm-hmm. for obvious reasons. But, like, the Cosby show, like, they were a wealthy black family. But, like, if it was a white family, it would be the exact same show. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you, like, there's a line that in the first, in the pilot episode where Philip is talking to Will and this is not a line that would come out of the Cosby show. Um, so Phil is talking to Will and he says, let me tell you something. I grew up on the streets just like you. I right. encountered bigotry you could not imagine. Now you have a nice poster of Malcolm X on your wall. And I heard the brother speak. I read every word he wrote. Believe me, I know where I come from. Like that's not something you would hear Cosby say. Cosby, no. it, like that show is just all like I don't. I've never watched the show, and it was never something I really liked. But I didn't like it because it didn't seem truthful. Right. Well, it's it's very much. I mean, there are. If you look at like a lot of um, like different kind of like um, people who do studies or talk about um, you know the relation between wealth in America, and especially when it comes to um, uh, when it comes to like. Um, the wealth inequality and like and can there be like a black upper class um there is a um there is a um pop culture um a, uh, a scholar out there um alexis uh john day and i'm probably alexis i'm sorry if i if i said your name wrong uh but she does lectual on, on youtube uh intellectual media um she you know she breaks down like there are like black societies that are kind of like split in between that when it comes to wealth inequality and like in in section off wealth from other black people and i think that's like where kind of cosby went in where it it seems like and what they portray philip is if philip banks is not just a rich person like a black person who was rich like through a societal mean or kept in a certain way like philip banks was someone who built himself up you know the bootstrap the bootstrap narrative that we always use but like actually like uses that to say that we are kind of definitely still the same mm-hmm. that was and that goes to my last word to describe fresh prince of bel-air powerful like this i i this uh this reunion special made me realize why this show was so important to me and i tweeted about it uh when it was airing like the um how important this reunion was for showing specifically black men being joyful ble- uh, forgiving realizing their mistakes and just being emotional like it's because that's something that's still a very different there's still a lot of toxic masculinity when it comes to men of color and black men and to see this special where specifically the big thing where will and janet like bury the hatchet and and like deal with their past Mm. like in in a like in a in in a tv sort of way but i really thought it was sincere i liked it yeah well no and i think i think that's the the important thing is is like kind of looking at like i so something that's happening because uh, this will be going up normally on friday uh but you know around uh this week of our recording there was a big um same issue that happened um a couple of women creators um uh had very reasonably reached out to 
Sony and Xbox and stated, hey, you guys were making a big play about, you know, Black Lives Matter and all this other stuff. And, you know, when you guys were sending out review copies for these big consoles, like these were going to, you know, generally white men. Like not many women of color were being being promoted. Not many people of color are being promoted. And like the Internet decided to go after them. like every shitty white dude YouTuber was like, oh, blah, 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 which is like that's what they do. They're they're shitty. That's what they, they go through. But the thing that was frustrating to me is I saw a lot of black men who were using this to equate out their anger and then like attack those women right and it's the thing like janet herbert talks about this in the special where she's like the worst thing that you could have done was say that i was difficult specifically yeah like saying a dark-skinned woman is difficult is the death sentence yeah, because there's a colorism. Like, we, we we cannot, especially, like I said, both of us being people of color, we, we've understood that that colorism, like, it exists. Um, I am not, like, I am I am dark, but I am not really dark because my mom is light, right? So, like, there's, I, I will still get a pass from people who are, like, darker than I am and, you know, and vice versa. Like, there's a reason why, you know, we have like those kind of mentalities and everything like that because the colorism does happen. And the darker skinned woman you are, the less likely you have to to move forward or be able to to maneuver around. I think again, something that's very recent that came up was um, Hassan uh, uh, Hassan Mana. Uh, I'm probably saying it wrong. I'm so sorry, Hassan, if you listen to this, because I definitely <laughs> want you on the show at some point. Um, <laughs> But he did a he did a Vanity Fair he did a Vanity Fair interview, and they asked him to rank you know Dak Shepard. He's like he's a six point five, and like and he you know he made the point he was like for Dak Shepard, Dak Shepard's a normal average looking white dude, but he gets a pass you know, and for people of color you have to be, like you can't just be like, and they had Anthony Anthony Anderson had to get fucking skinny to get a sitcom you know what I'm saying like. So, but, and it's doubly worse for that for women. If you're a black woman and you're considered difficult, that's a death knell. Look at um, uh, Naomi Campbell, right? Mm-hmm. Um, again, like I said, look at Janet, Janet Herbert. Like, you can't be a difficult black woman, let alone a difficult dark-skinned black woman, and then move forward, you know, and still live in this in this, in this this world because you'll instantly be like, They'll they'll be like okay well what's wrong with you why are you the problem yeah that's what it is well and I think too um, hearing like we've talked about it before how quickly Fresh Prince became a thing like the show and they talk about it on the reunion special where um, Jeff uh, Jazz who I, who I will forever refer to as Jazz I will not call him Jazzy Jeff uh, so Jazz is talking about. How Will basically, they were on tour and Will went to go on to Arcidia Hall and when he came uh, for a day and when he came back, he said, oh, I have a TV show now. And I think the success of the show and the fact that he was not given the show on a silver platter, but basically just given the show 
and I think it went to his head because I think mm. he and Will talks about it on the show, uh, talks about it during the special about how he was in his twenties and he didn't understand like uh, how to deal with a pregnant woman or the like. Um, I think they get into it when they talk about James Avery, but he had a lot of learning to do. Right. And he learned a lot from James Avery. And I think that um, Janet was just collateral damage in his ego at that time. Yeah. Because, no. like, he, he didn't understand that. And I I, I think um, a lot of people do adore Janet just because of how often... Like, I, I posted to my, my Facebook wall this Simpsons shit post about... Um, uh, where the Skinner is uh, being outed, outed, outed as an imposter, and it's um, the Daphne, uh, Vivian, and the yeah. and the Janet. Yeah, Vivian. Yeah. <laughs> she is the real and Viv, and so. But uh, like, even in Twitter communities, people refer to them as like, "Oh yeah, the dark skinned Aunt Vivian was better." Right, and I, and I think also, and and this is not you know this is not anything to give like um you know shaft to the the second ad viv but they didn't give like as, as a writing and we're going to get into it as we get towards like more seasons but like janet herbert's aunt viv is a completely different character yeah like and, we'll get to that yeah yeah i mean they gave her so much and she just excelled so much and that's what's wild to me especially like after going through the show and reevaluating, like the fact that there wasn't like I, I think of somebody like Twin Tarantino who would see these actors in movies and be like, why aren't people using them? And I'm going to use them. And to, for like no one to have not seen Janet Herbert, like I watched this thing, and I was like, I want to just write everything for her because she's just she's literally magic. Like not even like in a in a shitty colonial like type of like way of of us assessing like. Oh, black woman magic. But, like, she's literally, whatever she does, she does it to perfection. Yeah, and, and I think that's why. And, yeah, like, I love Daphne as Vivian, but Daphne, um, she is overshadowed, not just because James Avery's a huge guy, but she is overshadowed by him in their scenes together. Like, because she is a lot, so- like, softer, I would say, which, I mean, mm. which is a word I don't want to use, but Janet felt like... Janet's Vivian felt like Philip's equal. You could see why mm-hmm. he loved her. You could see why they were involved in like civil rights protests together. And you can see why they're still so um, committed to each other. And with Daphne's Vivian, I didn't really like I got that, but they seemed to have a lot more fights that were substantial. Like I could never see Vivian, uh, uh, Janet's Vivian, and uh, Phil breaking up. Like they get into fights, but they yeah. don't break up. Yeah, and so it's just something. And I love that story where Janet's ta- uh, Daphne's talking about how she was asked to audition in the first place uh, during the first season, and she said she didn't do it because she heard it was a show about a rapper. And that's yeah. why she didn't do it. And I think um, that goes into the context, too, of um, it, a lot of these actors didn't want to be in a stereotypical show. Right. And you could get that sense, especially with, um, with uh, what was it, with, the, with Karen Parsons. 
the way mm-hmm. that whole story she told where I posted about it on Twitter, but where she talks about how they wanted to make Hillary a strong black woman, like basically Lisa Bonet in, right. <laughs> in Crosby show. And, and she said like, no, because Hillary is flawed and you can learn things from a flawed character. And yeah. she, and I did post about like on Twitter that, Hillary stays the same. Her her personality, her goals um, don't really change. Like she wants status, mm. and she's made a better character. She's but she still grows as a character, right? And that would never happen on something like Cosby Show. She right. would be broken on Cosby Show. It seems. Or she would just be. That's the thing with the Cosby Show. She would just be one of the faceless nameless you know daughters of the cosby mm-hmm. show like lisa bonet is lisa bonet so of course like she's a little bit different but like vanessa like they're all like to in my mind they're the same character because of that like mm-hmm. and and this is actually what i wanted to ask you because again i wanted so i wanted to put up front like with us being writers right mm-hmm. um there is that thing of wanting to write a character and wanting to make sure that they're not pigeonholed or written in like a stereotypical way that makes their flaws like kind of their their character traits. But you mm-hmm. still want to write flawed characters, right? So I think on my first short, um, like Rafiq Like Me, I, I knew that I wanted uh, Edmund. I he was going to be like he's Sierra Leonean, like but he was uh, he was going to be an African descended character because that's mm-hmm. what I wanted to write. But I also wanted to write him. As someone who was petty, as someone who was shy, as someone who couldn't get that someone could have depression that's like they feel is better than themselves, right? Mm -hmm. And I felt that was important for me because black people aren't perfect. People of color aren't perfect, right? And that's the thing like the the true equality is be able to write these characters that are flawed but not – Venomous. If that makes any sense. If I, if yeah, I'm, if they're I'm not the. They're not. They're not going to be the spokesperson for their race. Right. That's the big thing. Because like, um, I struggle with that in my own work. Um, in regards to whether I show, uh, native people drinking, especially mm. young native people drinking, and I'm like, why is this such a big deal? For me to write a bunch of Native kids drinking when Mean Girls has a scene where they're all drinking in a party and they're underage. Like, why is that okay, but it's not okay for me to do this? And so, like, kids do shit like that. And, Mm. like, that, it's not looked down upon just because, oh, these kids are Native and, like, they have that alcoholism spirit in them. But I understand what you're saying. Like, I would, like, the reason why this show connected with me is because of characters like Hillary or characters right. like Vivian, where they have a rich backstory, where they um, they have lived a life. Like, mm. Hillary is not like any black girl I've ever seen. Like, she was the first black girl character that I absolutely adored because she is unapologetically herself. That's right. who she is. She doesn't care that she's spoiled. Like there, I even said it in a previous episode, but there's a line where she, in later seasons, where she said, I may be spoiled and self-centered, but that's who I am. And like right. she she owns it, and I love that. And I think that's what, what some of the... And I think a lot of... The writing on this show isn't influenced by the by the by the actors too. Yeah, um, I was like, go ahead. 
And specifically that line where Daphne is talking about the writing room and how they infuse the cultural understanding of these characters. Like when she said that there was a line that Tatiana had to say and that and that Daphne pointed out that if Tatiana as a black girl told her dad that she would be like she would be like dead basically for talking to her dad that that way and like i think she said that she was he she would smack her but you know what i mean like there's certain things you don't say to your parents as a person of color or as a black person and i really love that infusion that they've done no i do think that's like i do think that is genius like i said i think that's the only way uh of being able to do that like you you have to you you can't write a show for black people and not have black people in there. I think that's another reason why we we have been seeing a lot more people like bring up what's called bring up you know the need to have more you know black voices in in writing rooms and stuff like that because like like you said like you couldn't have you couldn't have like Ashley mouthing back to that you know mouthing back to um uh you know uh, vivian without expecting vivian to like to slap the fire out of ashley like whether that's correct or not that, that's kind of like a thing that would happen and i would i would say like the the thing that i i reminisce uh, i i make sure reminds me of that was i went over a white friend's house i'm not sure if you ever had this experience sonia I went over to my friend's house, and this is when I was an adult. I was like 18, 19 years old, and my friend was like playing video games, and his mom comes in, and his brother, who's about the same age, literally goes right over to the computer, like looks over from the computer, and just yells, "Shut the fuck up, bitch!" And like my buddy and I, who were two black kids, you know, are literally looking. Like you could have, like we were looking, like you could have shot, like you might as well have just shot your mom in the street because she's going to kill you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, is it some, um, okay, like we're gonna probably get a lot of hate mail for what I'm about to say, but white parents parents their kids as if they want to be their friends, right? Whereas <laughs> black families and families of color, they parent us that they don't want you to shame the family by acting like a like an asshole. That's how right. I was raised. Like you don't bring down shame on your family. Like and shame is not something that is like an like is it's not it has definition. Shame is like having your aunties criticize you to your mother. Like that's the type of shit that they don't want to happen. You know what I mean? Like I don't know if it's the same situation with you, but that's something right. like you want to be able to when the parents gather around at bingo or whatever or at the bar and they talk about their kids, you don't want to be the one that's the joke. Right. Absolutely. Like yeah. you never want to be the joke. And like I said, you never want to just be disrespectful to your parents. Like it that's something like it, it it just doesn't work. But again, you don't know that if you don't have black writers in there. Yeah, and that was something I was worried about, too, because I was noticing when we were doing this show, like, how many white writers they had. And I'm like, and then knowing that what we know now in regards to the reunion and how much influence the actors had, I think that's why it it, it worked. Right. And I think it's also something that we have to be, that that we're cognizant of, too, because I I do want to say that one of the great things is that we were able to bring in a lot of creators of color on our show. 
and we will be continuing that in our second season. Like we have some really cool guests. <laughs> Can't wait to tell you guys about. But I, but I thought it was very important that we did that. I do think it's like very important. Like the people that we've had on multiple shows between this and the Patreon are Emmett and Kim and Carrie. You know, three people of color. Like again, we love having our white guests on. We love having Sam and not Sam. Future. Chris, having yes. Chris, uh, having Chris and Sarah, Diana, yeah, uh, Diana, Dave, like that's really cool. Abby, right? That's really cool. But to me, it was very important to get people like Rihanna, um, like um, like Kim, um, like Emmett, like Carrie, like Funke, like um, like Nikki, because it was important to for me to be able to to relay this story, which is a very it's an American story, but it's also a very, you know, person of color story and being able to have that. I also think it's been really cool to kind of look at it, look at the American lens from Canadians. Like, again, having you and Carrie and Nikki and Kim looking at this as like you guys who were born in Canada who were like watching this American show, but it still touched you guys like it touched us here in the States. Like, I think that's also been what's very important for me to look at it. And realize, like, as a person of color, as a creative of color, like, hey, even though you're doing something that's very American-centric, you're still inspiring someone because you're doing something that may be for your nationality, but it's for your race and for the people who look like you, and that's going to inspire the next person. I think that's what's been really cool. Well, and what's what's the best part from this episode was, like, how aware they were of its importance right off the bat. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, there was a quote where they were discussing the episode where Jazz is giving testimony in court, and he has his, like, hands in the air because the cop is going to shoot him and give him warning shots in the back. And Will comments on it by saying, this show is as relevant today as it was then. And then he adds, unfortunately. And I love that little thing because I'm like, yeah, like, there's still... Like that scene with uh, Will and Carlton in the car where they thought they that the car was stolen. Like that could that's that does happen today. Like it's 30 years on from the show and all of this stuff is still happening. And like how important it is for us to learn about why it's important for these people to be tra- be betrayed in a certain way. Because like there's a line where Tatiana's talking about James Avery. Where she said, where one of the most important lessons she learned from him is she says, what we do is not for us. It is not about us. We are here to bring dignity, to represent, to expand, to push forward. And I learned this all at James's feet. Like, I know we're probably going to get into like the James Avery crying hour right now about that. But it's it's so true because it's like... um, one of the biggest imp- one of the biggest things about the show right the reunion when we, when I was watching it that hit me the hardest is when Alfonso is talking about what he learned from James Avery and he said and he said Alfonso says um that James told him there are other works of art that would help you understand yours and like right. that doesn't mean just like me as a writer not just writing but like poetry and video games and movies and music all this stuff would help me become a better artist right yeah no it's definitely um i, I want to talk a little bit about that before we go into full james avery thing. <laughs> but it definitely it, it definitely let me think about my creative process and I wonder if it was the same for you, like having that conversation of like, hey, everything about what you do is art, like your art doesn't stop in one area and moves forward and it pushes through. 
and with me as a creative, right? And like I, I feel <laughs> I, I, I want you guys to know as much as I said that I've cringed every time I said it too, because uh, I don't consider myself a creative. I'm just a dude. <laughs> but like when I make something, when I write something, I, I do, I do think of everything that that has led to me to that decision to sit down and write something. Usually when I write something, it's not something that I, I've, it's not something I, I've just got sit down and write. Like I, I've, I've met people who could do that and that's wild to me and I have all the respect in the world. But usually like a lot of my fiction, you can find bits and parts of different art that's part of my fiction. Like I can look at a painting or look at even just like art on Twitter and it's like I get something from that resonates. Uh, music, like musically, like I, I'm very musically eclectic. Like when I go to write, I put in like, like soft EDM where I put in jazz and like, because that's what speaks to me. And usually when I have a script, there is, there is a, there's a soundtrack that is speaking to me from that, you know, from that uh, album. Um, I watch a lot of anime and that's like, not me saying like, Oh, anime, but the storytelling. And that's, and that's one of the things that like I got from what James Avery was saying, the storytelling element from watching something that's like anime and and how they their roots a lot of those some of those anime roots aren't in their traditional western three-act structure but in a more of like the kabuki five-act structure so like now you're learning how to tell a story differently and now i'm looking at okay how do i remix this to tell this in my story and it all that stuff touches you and i think that's something that's really profound it's like if you consume the same things or if you don't look into if you don't look to out to broaden your your um, needs or 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 like the stuff that you look at you can't evolve your art because yeah. it's less there's less going in to make that art better because you're just looking at the same thing over and over and over well this reminded me of what um because i always wondered why james avery was in such movies as like beastmaster 2 through the portal of time and why he was shredder and i'm like this makes so much sense with what we learned about him from alfonso and from tatiana and from everybody who worked with him like he didn't see those types of roles as below himself he was learning constantly about because like you can learn so much from of course being shakespeare but you also learn what not to do when you do bad things or when you enjoy right. bad things like i hate that idea that you're only supposed to to be a filmmaker you have to watch all the good stuff and i'm like no you watch bad stuff that you enjoy so you know why they work and why they don't work right and with uh was it with uh, when you're speaking about anime specifically, things that influence Japanese culture are completely different from what influences American culture. Like um, the atomic bomb influenced all kinds of art within Japan, like specifically like things like Ghost in the Shell, where technology right. is such an important part of their uh, a part of their culture. Where Godzilla is a big part of their culture because of atomic energy, and it's mm. such a cool thing to me that like every like why would you you, there's this whole world of stuff to explore and why would you limit yourself to one thing right but, yeah yeah no. and, and it's really like hype me up like because i wish i could have met him just so, like after i wish he was still alive just because after what i heard from him i realized how much like his impact on the show influenced me as a creative mm. and, and i think yeah and i think that's the thing and I got it from Will because Will obviously explained he explained the scene that we're going to eventually get to the one that everybody wants to talk about the you know why don't you love me scene but um, like it was 
one, it was just incredibly beautiful, just like the, the conversation they were having about James, uh, as I try to fight not to get weird up again. <laughs> uh, it was incredibly beautiful, but the fact that like, his, he took this craft very seriously, you know, for the show that they are doing, but not like in the shitty, oh, I'm taking this way too serious, but in a way like, hey, we have a job we have to do. I want you to get to that part when we get to this job. And it's one of the things like, so like I said, I started acting. I started doing YouTube videos and I wanted to make them like dumb, really stupid YouTube videos where I could just be goofy because I was writing a lot of stuff that was very personal to me. That was very like, like in a, in a spot where I couldn't laugh or joke, but that wasn't as a negative thing. It's kind of like what James Avery said, like, I want to tell this story. So for me to tell the story, I have to get to that spot. But I also don't want to dwell and live in that, you know, in that wallow. And, that, and that's one of the, the things that's inspired me about James is you have someone who is a Shakespearean trained actor, someone mm-hmm. who is who who understands the craft so well, but then was also willing to be the fat joke. Like mm-hmm. and that's something like like he could have been like, this is beneath me. I'm not the fat joke. I'm a Shakespearean trained actor. But he's like, no, like. I don't mind being the fat joke. So, like, I'll do my videos now, and it's like, yeah, I'm going to make this Michael Scott-esque, like, guy who wants to be, who's who's a corporate rapper, but he's not really a rapper, but then I can do the whole, like, just the dumb, like, oh, yeah, this is what I do, because blah, 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 And it's like, I, I think that's what's always fun, is being able to do that, and that's something that I wish, like, I don't believe in those masterclass class. Uh, classes because they're scams. Yes, but, they are. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're gonna say, hey, five hundred dollars and James Avery will teach you how to be a creative or how to act, I would be there instantly because I would love just to pick his brain. Yeah, like um, I'm just related to what you were saying about like how your own life influences your work. I want to read for you from, you from my f- first feature film because like in the in the because uh, uh, I've I've talked to you before about how important wrestling was to me as a kid, mm-hmm. like pro wrestling, but why I gave up on certain aspects of it of becoming a pro wrestler myself. And so mm-hmm. like you'll see a lot about it in the story. Like I'm only gonna read a, like about a page of it for for you, but. Like, here, I'll read it aloud. Interior Pelican Landing Day. Riel hangs an order as Hunter works in the kitchen flipping burgers. Riel, hey, Hunts. Hunter puts a, fl- a fryer basket into the fryer and turns around to dress a hamburger bun. Hunter, hey, Riel. Riel turns the order turnstile. Riel, what was your school in Calgary like? Hunter takes the order down. Hunter, what? Riel, your school in Calgary. What was it like? What did you learn? Hunter checks out the order and continues to dress her burger with muscle memory. Hunter, just how to wrestle in front of people, how to run the ropes, how to create characters, you know, like WWF shit. Hunter puts the plated hamburger up in the order window. Riel takes the plate and sets it on a tray with the other food. Riel, would you ever, I don't know, ever teach someone how to do it? Hunter, do what? Riel shrugs and pulls a face like she's thinking. Riel, teach i don't know me to wrestle like that hunter chops a head of lettuce in half loudly hunter not on your life riel why not hunter because wrestling is sexist and racist and stupid riel no it isn't dad loved it 
Hunter, it was better back then. Now it's all bras and panties matches. Riel, that's not all it is. Hunter, continuing. And because you're Cree, you'll wear a buckskin bra and panty while you lose to a blonde sex doll with huge jugs. So that, that it goes on from there. Right. But yeah, like you can see where my influ- where my own anger came up from what I would have to be to be successful in the WWE. Right. I mean, and that's the, it. When you make art, and I think like that's the the thing that's been really cool of seeing like especially like seeing like people I know and seeing how their art kind of evolves. Like when you make art, you put a little bit of yourself in there, mm-hmm. and I think that's what like. I think that's what James Avery was getting over to Will, and I think that's one thing that we all have to look at is like, what do you put in, of yourself in there? Like I said, in Rafik like me, there's literally a breakdown conversation of like why I don't trust, like, and it's something that I've had to deal with in dealing with depression, right? Mm-hmm. Of like not thinking that you're good enough, or thinking like, oh, this person is feeling like shit. How can they feel like shit? They are so much better than I am, right? Is where that self-deprecation comes in. Like and I know I do it and I and I, I play all the self education a lot online. Um, <laughs> but I also think everything I do is bad, so it's fine. Um, that's a joke. Oh, it's not bad. <laughs> it's a joke. <laughs> but it's, it's a. There's a way to do that art, and 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 going to those lines is very important. And having someone like James Avery, like, like fortunately for this world, we got a James Avery, right? Like yeah. he's gone. And it sucks, um, but we were blessed to get, you know, for lack of a better word, we were blessed for having a James a James Avery in our world, you know. Well, and I wrote this down specifically in my notes because, like, um, when I watched it again today for this, I went specifically back, like, the stuff that I rewatched was specifically the the whole entire bit about James Avery was the whole thing I watched because there's this line where they talk about how Will mentions that he doesn't know if James ever realized how much he was shaping him, and Daphne says, "Of course he did," and mm. uh, Tatiana talks about how he plants seeds. Like that was something that was really beautiful. And so I wrote in my notebook, um, people shape you. And I think James did that for every kid who ever saw the show. Right. And I think that's really true because like, um, Jay, like I posted this on Twitter and I was almost crying when I did, but James Avery being proud of himself as a black man was what made me proud to be native. Mm-hmm. And like that, that is true. Like, and I did not really like, I think that's why the show, this, this reunion special was so important because I didn't realize that until now, like how this, this guy who I didn't even know playing this character who could easily be, be me when I'm his age, right? Like is making me proud to be who I am because of how much strength and how much pride he draws from it, from his identity and how it makes me be proud to be of my identity. And I think that's what he's teaching you too through the coursing of the show that you have to accept yourself if you're going to make art. Right. And you're going to have to accept yourself and realize that everybody who struggled before you opened those doors so you could go go ahead and open doors for other people. Right. And you know, like and I'm just thinking this cuz I I'm starting to plan out stuff for a second season. Like he also gives more truth bobs that people need to hear every day like you know we're gonna go into this episode of this uh, season where will's like i want to do everything on my own and he's like uh, like a man yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he's like 
He's like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, like, I got we, it in here. Yeah, like, no one gets anywhere without help. People open doors for me, and I work very hard to open doors for you. And right. you're not less of a man for walking through those doors. Right. And that's, like, one of the things, again, using this platform. Thankfully, we've had a lot of people who have higher platforms who've been on this show. But I do want to use this platform to get people who don't have those voices, like Uncle Phil said, and put them through. Because, like, to me, this show touches everyone. If you're a new creative, if you're old creative, if you're somebody who's doing something, it touches everybody. And I think that's something that's important that we have a responsibility to do. And I, and I think about that quote literally all the time. Yeah, because, like, um, it's such a, like, okay, again, please keep your, like, angry letters to a minimum. But... I think that there's this idea in white culture that you have to make it on your own. And I think that the message Uncle Phil had about people opening doors for you is not shameful. It's not weakness on your part. It's that they realize that it's so much harder to get get further in life when you do not have those doors open for you. And the people who make this world worse are the people who, who shut those doors behind them. And they're like uh, the worst types of people. The worst types of people in our cultures are those people who shut the doors and decide that they're going to be the only people. Mm. And I think that was probably the mistake that Will might like. I don't know their relationship, but I think that's probably the mistake Will fell into in regards to Janet Hubert. Mm-hmm. And like that he had a big head and a big ego. And like I do remember this interview that James Avery did where he where he said that the reason why Janet left was because she wanted the show to focus on her and Phil. Mm-hmm. And like it, I don't know how true that is, but I'm like everybody had an equal opportunity to shine on this show. Like even though it was the Fresh Prince, everybody got out of the show better as a character. Right. Or uh, grew as a character, yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely, and I think that's the thing, the thesis of this thing is that they were able to grow and they were a family, and I think that's one of the cool things about this show. And again, I'm gonna I'm gonna use this to be insular about our show. Like it's one of the cool things about this show. I have not worked with Sonia before doing this show. Honestly, Sonia <laughs> Valentine was one of my favorite people to to work with. I think you did this thing where you're talking about like the one letter, and you said brother, and I was like, yeah. Like with this show, I gained like another sister. I Aww. probably gained like I probably gained like four or five other sisters. But that's neither here nor there. But like that was what was important to me about this show, about our show, is that we were able to keep that same kind of mentality, and that's something mm-hmm. that we want to move forward and do is keep that mentality of like, hey, we want to do these this show that we're having fun doing, and it's a conversation. That's why it goes long because it's me and Sonia just catching up talking about a show but then talking about all this other stuff like oh hey do you remember blah 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 and i think that's like been very important about that uh the only thing is i do not uh i do not mouth sonia's lines for the whole first season <laughs> of the show uh, i didn't can, notice that i didn't, I didn't notice either. that like until they pointed it out i didn't know but i could understand how it would be distracting to the other actors like mm-hmm. specific like and but like to Will's credit, that scene where he did it with Don Cheadle was not like was not bad. I didn't mind that. Like they did a, they were so sincere in that moment that I'm like, yeah, like he had to learn, but he learned really really fast. And I think that probably has to do with like natural charisma, that sort of thing. But mm. he like I think this show was like lightning in a bottle in terms of like all like the stars aligned for it. 
Right. And, and it came out exactly when it needed to. And I just love that. And I just love how the show was allowed to be fun and talk about the pain, too. Because it wasn't just right. about the pain. Like, the show could have easily just been about, like, Uncle Phil's life. and But, like, no, it's about success and it's about triumph. It's about, like, this... Because, like, uh, as we said before, like, Uncle Phil is Will when he's right. when he's a when he's a grown man that's who he's going to be and it's really cool to see that as an adult like because i didn't like it, I, we've spoken about it before but we always identified with will but now we're closer in age to philip and Bill. vivian yeah, yeah like because there's an episode coming up where philip uh vivian turns 40 and i'm like turning 35 next month and it's like it's weird like it's not weird in a negative way but it's strange right. because i'm like I, the show has been around long enough for me to identify as both will and as philip and that's so cool i love that no yeah it's it's definitely having gone from the teenage years even gone past the hillary years like now we're in the age like I, I have a I have a niece now, right? So like I get it. Like every time I'm like, yeah, no, I understand. I understand completely. Well, and I understand too, like now why it's important to have that representation and why it's important to make sure you open those doors. Because I think we learned a lot about uh like I don't wanna give credit to a show for making us the people we are today, but I think watching this show has made us the people we are today in terms right. of seeing how valuable it was to to know our experience was important enough to be in this show. That we are, like, because we've dealt with a lot of the same problems that they have in terms of, like, profiling, uh, being successful, but also still being a person of color and how that th- that invalidates the success sometimes. Right. Like I was watching the TV show The Boys and there's that scene where A-Train, a black superhero, is walking around in his civilian clothing in a store and he gets followed around by a security guard. And then he tries to apologize when he realizes he is a superhero. Right. And like it's just stuff like that. It's like uh, it's a line from um, George Jefferson on the, on All in the Family where he said where a white bartender is serving her serving him and uh, Archie Bunker says like oh it's so cool it must be so different to have a white man serving you and George tells him yeah because I have enough green to cover my black and I'm like that line always stuck with me because I use right. it to where people will treat me better because I have the money to force them to and no, that's, that's like true. that's so sad to me in a lot of ways because I'm like the only reason I get I, I am able to um, the only reason I'm able to understand certain like it's sad that like racism only stops for me because I have to pay for it right yeah no it's definitely it's definitely a lot but I again like I said I think that's what's great about doing the show is like we can vent about this stuff now who's gonna stop us white people you yeah <laughs> <laughs> no that was like the royal you yeah. <laughs> those people yeah we blame you the listeners <laughs> but uh, um going back to the janet section um mm. as i mentioned like it is really cool to see black people and people of color in this emotional context, being able to talk out um, historical hardships. Like, that was one of the big things. And I think a lot of people were coming back because it's like, oh, like, they haven't spoken in 27 years. What's going to be the tea? And I'm like, it was really touching. And it was really cathartic. And I loved it. 
Like, because mm-hmm. it, it, I think it is true. Like, he couldn't have the oh, show. You, you he couldn't have it without her. Absolutely not. If, if it would have, it would. I would have been so upset. Yeah, and I, I really love. Um, I don't know if you saw the image on HBO Max, but the image cover they have for the show is a picture of the whole family with Daphne and Janet holding a picture of James Avery. And I thought that right. was the most beautiful thing in the world. I'm like, I, I like I don't care how much Will pay Janet to like uh, bite her tongue if that's the case, but it's like it's still a touching thing, and it's like um, it's something I wrote in here. Uh, like I love the sincerity of the interactions between everybody. It was like a family reunion, and I love the line that Will says uh, where he's like, "We turn into a real family, and it was not work." And I love mm-hmm. that. Yeah, it's so cool. No, definitely. It it didn't feel like a job. It didn't seem like a job, and that was what was really cool about that. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, like what else did you? Well, I I did want to mention too uh, when they were discussing um, the clothing on the uh, clothing on the show and how important how Will would get the new Jordans six weeks before they were on the street. I'm like, oh, TL's gonna love that little bit. Yeah. Oh, you know me, <laughs> especially someone. Who loves, loves, loves shoes and Jordans and like, hold on. I just, I bought these since last time we recorded. Uh, these are the Paul George. Uh, they're like, they're good. I love, I love shoes. So like seeing that was like super cool. I love these <laughs> shoes, by the way. They're so dope. Well, uh, and I didn't know that whole thing because Jazz talks about, um, Jazz talks about how that picture of Will sitting in a chair while Jeffrey pours him tea where you can see uh, his Jordans, that that's still passed around in sneaker circles, like as a, a, a to show off the shoes. I thought that was right. so cool. Like it's there's and one thing I wanted to mention too before we end, but like um, that whole discussion uh, Tatiana had about Paul Robson. I actually had mm-hmm. to look it up afterwards because I'm like, it was so compelling to me to hear, like, because it's really cool that James Avery's still teaching people from beyond the grave. <laughs> and, right. like, because I looked it up and I'm like, uh, how big of a deal it was for this black singer to say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sing this word, change it. Like, he could have easily been replaced with somebody who would have sang the N-word. Right. And I'm like, like little things like that make it be- make things like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air later. Like, little ripples in time. Like, because that small thing led to James Avery being on the show in a certain way. It's like a butterfly effect. Mm-hmm. I yeah, love that. Yeah, no. I, it's, especially, like, being able to know that you can hold on to your art. And you can you can define your art. I think that's super impressive. And be truthful well. to yourself. Like that was yeah. the big thing I took. Like I didn't expect to learn so much about myself from watching this reunion special. But I'm like, it's true. Like I learned a lot about how important um, your art is. How why it is like an important thing. It's not stupid, and it's like it can be so valuable to you and your growth as a human being. And that everything makes you better. All your experiences, everything you watch, everything you hate, everything you love makes you a better creative person. And I think that's something like right now, I'm just trying to make you realize that, too. I'm like, believe in yourself, TL. (laughs) James Avery would want us to believe in ourselves. I know. Like I said, I so me being well, one, I have imposter syndrome all the time. And that's just like everyone. I think that's the experience of of black and people of color. Yeah, uh, but 
Yeah, like I, I was, I don't know, like I'm, I work with so many great creatives, yourself included, ah. um, specifically, right? So many great creatives that, like, I see you guys do stuff, and I'm always like, man, I wish I had an eighth of your guys' talent, uh, or an eighth of your drive. And it's not like in a denigration of you guys, but I think you guys are always so awesome. Like, you think about the people we had as guests. Like, uh, again, uh, Rihanna is now working at G4. Uh, mm-hmm. Kim has her own studio. Like Kim is going to be working work. on some major AAA games. Like, yeah, we know, can't say what, but... Right. We're the, sorry, yeah. look at that. What's up? We didn't say it, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, uh, Nikki does great stuff over at Fanbyte. Uh, uh, Funkate, like, just started... They just started doing, like, a tremendous, like, uh, video feature over at Fanbyte, which is so good like in in and i think about that and I look at myself and again i understand like this is how imposter syndrome works and you shouldn't you should never look but i look at myself and i'm like i am not where they're at and it's not an denigration for you guys it's just that i am not there and that's well, something that i i constantly think in the back of my head well let me tell you something that helped me deal with that you do, um Sage, my my writing partner and my creative partner, he told me once that the the path to fame, if you become famous, if you become successful, that path closes behind you because nobody can follow you and follow the exact path you took to get there. You have to create your own path and that's why it's so annoying because you can ask Stephen King, you can ask Clive Barker, you can ask Quentin Tarantino and say, how did you do it? And try to copy them and it wouldn't work because that's their that's their path. And so you have to find your own way to get to success because success is a different thing for everybody. What's success for me is not necessarily what's going to be success for Kim. It's not going to necessarily be success for you. Like success to me right now is um, is like it used to be getting into Toronto International Film Festival. But then I realized that um, that is not where my movies, I want my movies to be seen. It would be cool. It would be cool to be a con. It would be cool to have that type of uh, premiere. But I realize that I want the most people to see my movie. And if that makes me like a, like a, what is it? Like a, I'm trying to think about it. Uh, uncultured swine to be like, I am okay with my film. Pre- like if WWE premiered on Netflix, Right. I would be blown away. That would be bigger than to me than t- a TIFF screening. That would be bigger than me than going to con because uh, on like if the day that WWE goes live on Netflix, if it ever does, it would be seen by about a hundred thousand people in a day. Right. That, whereas uh, the biggest theater at uh, TIFF is like a uh, hundred and fifty people. Right. Like that, that is success to me. And you have to figure out exactly like, am I jealous of this person or am I just envious? Because envy is okay. Like you, you just, it, it like a little bit of envy is good because it'll, it'll motivate you to pursue your dreams a lot more. Right. And that's why I try not to compare myself to other people. Like I do really freak out with the success my friends are having. Like uh, a bunch of my friends recently wrote for the Marvel indigenous issue. Mm. And I'm like, and they didn't invite me. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. But then I realized like, no, like my time will come. And like, that's the thing. Yeah. To remember, like your time will come. It's not the right time right now, but maybe some like, it's like that line from George of the jungle. Like, um, something good always comes later. 
Yeah. You're just lucky. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and that's the thing. I, I constantly like because I never want to feel like I'm I'm shitting on my friends because I'm I'm ex- I'm always happy to see my friends do good mm-hmm. and like me doing me like my my fame isn't winning awards. Like I, I've very openly said, if I ever got nominated for any kind of award. Y'all better hope I never win that because it will be the dumbest speech ever because I don't care. <laughs> I think awards are silly. <laughs> but oh, yeah. I do want to become famous enough where I can allow people who look like me become writers. Like, I want to make that pathway of like, okay, well, let's start making workshops in places that do not have workshops, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's that's to me, that is success. Success is building the next generation, whether that be the next generation of podcasters, Next generation of writers, next generation of animators, like that's my success is building for the next part. I don't want to, I don't want to make something. I, I want to make something that people want to see, but I want to help the person who's going to make something that's going to change the next person's life. That's that is success for me, and that's that's where my goal is. And like, yeah, so I'm going to feel like, oh, what I make is just shit. But like, that's just like again me playing up. But like, also like I don't really hold a huge value on the stuff that I make because I want to make something better for somebody else. Well, yeah, that's what I go through too. Like I never wanted to be the only person doing this. I wanted Hmm. to make sure like the only reason I got into it was because no one else was. And if my example makes it gets somebody else to make something better, awesome. That's what I want. And it just reminds me of something I saw on Tumblr where it's like a legacy is planting gardens uh, planting seeds in a garden you're not going to get to see and I hope my mm-hmm. legacy is that where it's like the uh, the seeds I planted create trees that create trees that create trees like that's what all I want like and I think that's something I took away from this reunion special where it's like you have to forgive people you have to realize how, mu- how much power you do have right now and you have to always keep learning and always keep uh exploring art like i actually tried to see what book um james avery was reading and some of the the shots that he was doing so i'm like i know that book will help me (laughs) so like i'm just listening to the music that like um that he liked and just figuring it out because i'm like why like because something i really love to do is like if a book is mentioned in a movie i'll be like why uh, I should read that book just to see why it was important. I did that when I watched the lake house and they were talking about uh persuasion by Jane Austen. I said to myself, why is that book so important? So I read it and I really liked it. And so I'm going to do that now to win the coming weeks with this, uh, trying to find out what James Avery was reading. <laughs> right. All right. Uh, but yeah, so this has been, um, this has been live from the pool house. Uh, so Sonia, do you have anything that you would like to promote? Um, well, depending on when this comes out, I might be doing some panel stuff, uh, for Winnipeg, uh, women in film, uh, and television, uh, check my Twitter, check my Facebook. Um, I do have a Facebook page now, so like me at Sonia Ballantyne, I will, I'm not sure what I'm going to post there, but I just couldn't stand getting, uh, friends requests from people, <laughs> so, well, that sounds terrible, like, getting friends requests from people I don't know. Right. So, yeah, like, so I'm like, uh, I, cause Facebook right now is just to keep in touch with my family up north and my, my close friends here, right. which basically sounds so snobby, but it's true. <laughs> yeah, no, it's <laughs> like, yeah, I, I agree, like, Facebook, so I've... I, I mean, I have my own personal Facebook. Then I have a, a personal page I did last year when I shot that film. Uh, so, yeah, if you want to follow me on Facebook, follow me 
at uh, T L Foster. That's T period L period Foster on Facebook. Uh, that is the best way of reaching me. But yeah, like Facebook for me is like that's I would reach out. That's like that's my family time. So don't mm-hmm. don't don't. It's, that's always weird to me. Uh, but you can follow me on Twitter at Turbo Bison. Um, you can go to my YouTube at YouTube.com/slash Turbo Bison, where me and my buddy Alfred have been shooting uh, these mockumentary videos for Antonio Lee. Um, I think they're fun. Uh, <laughs> I think they're fun and funny, uh, if not a little bit cheesy. But I got to act a little bit, so I, I've never really done a lot of that, so that was really cool. Um, and yeah, and then you can always go to patreon.com slash live from the pool house and support what we do. Uh, we will be having uh, new episodes coming up soon. I'm going to try to reach out to people so we can do uh, little mini episodes while we get ready for the second season. I know Kim has definitely wanted to talk about uh, Batman. Spider-Man. Uh, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Spider-Man too, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, we could definitely do a superhero one with that. I know that some people uh, have decided they want to talk about boy bands. Oh, uh, yeah, we got to bring out the beefs. Yeah, yeah so... <laughs> Uh, I can't wait to do. A, I can't wait to do sixty minutes of saying how Insync is the best band, and then just <laughs> looking like I was correct the whole time. Then I'll just be like, yeah, and they say Backstreet Boys is just a band. <laughs> so, but yeah, oh my god, keep uh, watch this space. <laughs> yes, definitely watch this space. All right, uh, but first, tell you about time. I am T.L. Foster. This has been live from the pool house. Don't wait thirty years to bring everyone back. <laughs> Go, but hold on, I got. Mm-hmm.